welcome back to the Yannick on Chelsea podcast. I'm your host, Yannick. Please call me Yann. I'll be the protagonist today. Maybe Chelsea's the protagonist, actually, in this story. A really difficult away game. Rafa's fortress. An immovable object met by maybe not quite an unstoppable force. Anyway, a difficult game nonetheless. Ugh. Right, so I'm going to be reviewing the game in Newcastle. I'm going to be previewing the game away at... No, excuse me, at home to Bournemouth. And then I'm going to answer your questions and maybe chat some sort of uh, shit in between as I do. I'm going to have to put the podcast on explicit. Anyway, let's get into it. Right, let's get into the lineup. Ariza Balaga between the sticks. Uh, the same back four as we've seen. We've got uh, Marcus Alonso on the left, the centre-back pairing of David Luiz and Antonio Rudiger, and Mr. 200 appearances himself, Captain, says our Azpilicueta at right back. Now, the most notable differences would be Kovacic and Hazard starting. So we had the midfield three of Kovacic, Jorginho and N'Golo Kante, and then the front three of Hazard and Pedro with Morata down the middle. Remember our best season under Conte, we had the flanks of uh, Hazard and Pedro, and we were saying, oh yeah, the PhD, that's the uh, the best front three in Europe. Right, before I want to get into the goals and everything, I want to sort of like uh, highlight the context of this game. It was attack versus defence, and certainly Rafa Benitez planned for that. He, play- he planned to play without the ball. You get that sort of like quintessential cliche, like, Good, well, excuse me, hard away games when they when they sit two banks of four and they have a couple of strikers to hit you on the counter-attack. This was very much a flat back five and a flat, very close uh, bank of four and close proximity to that uh, flat back five. And then there was just Rondon sort of hanging around doing absolutely nothing. I feel kind of bad for the guy. I think he's a good striker. He must have known that he's going to be getting into this. Anyway, so it was very rigid, very organised. And very, very difficult. This game would consist of uh, Chelsea achieving 81% possession. And that's a full time. At half time, Jorginho had more passes. In fact, 19 more passes than the whole Newcastle side collectively. Absolute incredible numbers. I think there were records broken in that game. I don't want to read too much into that because context is everything. And... This was a game when they were happy to play without the ball. We are a side that passes a lot. I don't want to take anything away from Jorginho's numbers and the records, but, you know, it was a perfect storm to achieve those numbers. And uh, apart from the sort of stubborn defence of Newcastle, it was dirty, man. I think Hazard got, like... I mean, okay, I need to try and calm down to talk through this. The refereeing was pretty appalling, the officiating, I mean, Hazard got kicked the shit out of him throughout certainly a lot of the first half. Uh, no decisions were going were going his way or indeed Chelsea's way. And later on, I think a few cards came out for like um, random challenges or he, or he blew up for different challenges. Whereas he ignored all these significant, really rough um, tackles in the uh, first half where a lot of them could have been bookings and a couple could have been reds, man. So that was poor. That was poor from the referee. Um, just on a quick tangent, I watched an interview on uh, on the Chelsea FC app of Eden Hazard talking post-game, and they talked, uh, the interviewer said, oh, you took some rough treatment that game, and he just sort of laughed and sort of sighed, like, yeah, you know, this is the Premier League, it always happens every week, 
And that kind of makes me sad because it's true. He does get battered every week. But you sort of, when he says that and he reacts like that, you can almost hear a sort of, and that's why I want to go to Spain. Because <laughs> he does get battered, you know. He's the most foul player in the Premier League. And now he's a bit like, he's you know, he's not like a 21-year-old anymore. He's I'm not saying he's old by any means, but he's probably at the point now where he's like, this isn't fun anymore, you know. Um, I'm a really good technical footballer and I'm just, I get hammered every week. In that sense, it's really sad because you think, yeah, I can understand why you want to go to a, a more technical league on, rather than a more physical league. So, yeah, officiating was poor. I mean, later on, Giroud took the elbow in the face. Um, all sorts of fouls going on everywhere. I think, um, you know, a couple of our players would just, like, despair at one point when they weren't getting the decisions. So, anyway, I don't want to talk about referees too much. Everyone always talks about referees. It was just a uh, horrible game in that sense. It was just a really nasty game and I think that was just sort of a the negativity around that was fomented by such a negative brand of football that um Rafa Benitez and in Newcastle brought to the pitch so yeah there's the context of that kind of of the feel of the game so apart from 81 possession a million passes and being battered by Newcastle for the game um more so Eden Hazard Let's look at it. What was this game like? Um, I'm not going to talk about the girls just yet. I want to talk about our sort of style of play. There was a lot of patient play. I think I tweeted out how this was such a, a lesson for Sari about English football and what you might have to, you know, take on at certain points, certainly on away games, at these sort of defensive style teams. So, yeah, we had lots of passes, lots of possession, not really enough of a killer instinct. Uh, we didn't break the lines enough. We did see some good football, some good combinations and forward play. But it's um, not enough at the moment, and that's absolutely fine, because we are nine points out of nine, and we I could have accepted a lot less in terms of uh, points on the board, um, and even progress to a degree, because the shape's good. Um, Defence isn't great, but it is better than it was. You can see that's going to just improve. Sorry himself sort of said, I'm not really worried about that, that will come. Uh, like I said, it's, it's killer instinct. There was a few moments where... We should have done better. There's one that sticks in my head where um, Hazard dum dummies the ball. He leaves it for Kante. And Kante plays a 1-2 back to Hazard. And you just think, oh, liquid football. And this is going to end in a goal. But Hazard, Hazard is um, hesitant. He turns and retains possession. But if he plays Kante back in or just makes a different pass or just turns and gets a shot away, we've got a great chance of scoring. But I mean, yeah, again, hopefully that's something you'll look at and Sarah will look at and they'll try and make him a bit more of a quick response, killer instinct. You know, play it in a, again quicker. A couple of uh, instances Hazard had that. He wasn't, didn't have his best game, but he still looked really good. I mean, I'm reading some articles saying that, you know, he's the star of the show. I think that's because he did some like wicked stuff on the ball and he, he, he demonstrated his ability. But for, for his ability, that killer instinct, I mean, he did take a couple of shots, you know, one that nearly curled in. Um, he can obviously do better and he'll be the first to admit that. So in terms of like execution, it could be a bit better. Same with Pedro. Willian came on, didn't get to see much of him. I think he looked pretty good. He took the ball up when he needed to. He didn't get a decision nearing the end when we were trying to burn time. Um, but you know, it looks good. Barkley came on for Kovacic. He, again, he didn't score or assist or anything, but he looks good. Systematically, he looks safe. He knows what he's doing, um, which, you know... Ruben was on the bench, which uh, sort of silenced some rumours. But, uh, you know, both Barkley can come on and, and answer a call to Sari like that and systematically look after the ball. 
then you can see why he chooses him. And to be honest, I'm fine with that. Um, Murata had a couple of chances. There was one one instance when he was played through, um, and he had a heavy touch that took it away from him. But you know, that's kind of maybe a confidence thing. He generally played right in terms of movement. He took his goal really well last week. Let's let's not forget. Um, so you know, I'm not like giving up on him or anything. It's just um, he he did he did play the system well. But when Giroud came on, you think. Fuck, dude, maybe Giroud should have started this game just because of how Newcastle played. Maybe um, in hindsight, if Sarab could play again, he might have started with Giroud because just the headers, the knockdowns, you know, we need a big boy up in there to, to sort of um, state some dominance, if you will. And Morata was just trying to sort of run the channels a little bit more, do a bit of interplay. A little bit unlucky at times, uh, but yeah, it was all right. I mean, nothing was sort of woeful from him. Um, and Golo Kante, man. Um, yeah, good bit of interplay. He he hasn't had a bad game yet. And you know what? He was fine here because this wasn't one of those instances where we were conceding chances where people would say, one might say, oh, this is where you need the titan of the defensive midfielder in Golo Kante, sweeping up problems, you know, mopping up, making those interceptions, making those recoveries. He's so good. This obviously wasn't that kind of game. So... He did just get a chance to practice his forward play, his combinations, his passing. And like I said, that little dummy to 1-2 of Hazard looked great. So let's hope he does get really, really good at that. Um, and when we do need him to do a bit more mopping up, he's in a position where he can get back. I've talked a lot about Kante last pod. Um, if you haven't listened to the last episode, it's you know even if the game's already gone, it might be worth going back and listening, getting my thoughts on it if you're interested. Um, might be a good opportunity, actually, to sort of uh, offer another thank you to you guys, because I seem to have, like, a, a consistent bunch of uh, listeners now, um, a decent amount I'm pretty happy with, and because the numbers have sort of floated the same, I'm, I'm assuming it's the same people listening, so hopefully um, it is you, listener, so thank you for supporting me by listening to the pod, um, and you know what, time for a plug, maybe, if you can, <laughs> if you do listen and you're enjoying it and you want to support me, I'm, uh, by the way, I'm not going to say this like every episode down the line. It's just while I'm trying to make a build more of an audience. Um, if you have iTunes or Apple Pods, I mean, if you've got an iPhone or a MacBook, you you will. Please give the podcast a five-star rating and a positive review. And then, um, yeah, I can keep doing that if you enjoy it and hopefully build an audience and, you know, expand the Yannick on Chelsea conversation online on social media and through the pod. Anyway, so yeah. I was talking about Kante. Um, it's um, there's not too much more to say about him other than that. Kovacic was surprisingly quiet. I think maybe because he he started this game. It was I think it was easier to come on last game with 30 minutes and demonstrate his passing ability and football intelligence versus a, versus a tired side. Excuse me. Whereas now he was asked a very difficult question, one that's difficult to answer. Remember, he's in a new league, and uh, some good combinations still. Alright, um, is there any individual performances that I'm going to talk about? I'll probably talk about Alonso in the social media questions section, as well as David Louise. Um, that sort of came up <laughs> a couple of times, especially with uh, with the goal that we conceded. Um, let's just see if there's anyone else. Uh, Pedro, again, a bit quiet, did a couple of good things. Nothing too, you know, nothing too impressive. Same with everyone, really. I mean, it was a collective sort of performance, ups and downs. You know, a few like nearly moments, um, 
But apart from a couple of players that I'll talk about later in the pod, I think that is it. Um, so let's talk about the goals. Fortuitous. For all the dominance in this game, statistically, the goals were pretty lucky. Um, but maybe Karma got involved. Uh, the, uh, the first goal came at, like, what, 75 minutes? I'm not going to check the exact time of the, the, the goal, but it was near the end of the game. At that point, you were just like, screw it, we'll take it, yes, whatever, because it was just becoming such a frustrating dance going round and round and round of the defence attack, defence attack. So Alonso gets played in, runs across his man, and he gets inverted commas, fouled, and goes down in the box, and we get a penalty. Um, Which, by the way, Eden Hazard puts away. So we know now, if he's on the pitch, he's on penalties, not Jorginho, which I'm fine with. They're both really good. Hazard's record's immaculate, so great, Eden Hazard. Let's give him some goals as well. Stay at our club, please, Eden. (laughs) You could be on penalties. So anyway, let's have a look. Um, the, The offending player does get the ball. Uh, he gets the ball, and Alonso goes over. So for me, it's not a penalty. The argument can be made, and actually Rude Hula on match of the day, maybe because of his Chelsea co- uh, connection, he thought it was a penalty, as opposed to Danny Murphy saying it's not a penalty. I don't think it was a penalty. The argument would be made that his foot went over the ball, maybe. His two feet slightly in the air went over the ball, sort of hit Alonso and took him out. I mean, but where do you draw the line? You know, sometimes you get these wicked slide tackles that you send the opposing player, the player in possession, flying, and everyone will applaud, like, you know, good tackle. And that's what we like in the English game to a degree. So, you know, you've got to take the uh, the blue-tinted glasses off. I, I was trying to chat to my mate as a United fan yesterday, and I was like, yeah, you know, maybe a pen, maybe a pen. And he's like, oh, you got your Chelsea glasses on, mate. Maybe I did. Anyway... Like I said, it was difficult. It, there was that game was so poorly officiated, and we didn't get any calls up until then. Our star player was getting battered. The referee wasn't protecting him. So take it, take the penalty. It's converted one nil Chelsea. So second goal, which was the Newcastle goal. Let's go back to the theme of poor officiating, where um, Yedlin, he's. He's running down the right wing. Giroud is doing his defensive striker work um, and trying to prevent, I don't know, the attack, the break, or whatever the hell it was. And he took an elbow to the face and hit the deck. I mean, it was it was a foul. I was a bit annoyed how the whole of that Chelsea backline, everyone was like, oh, now he got elbowed in the face, and we stopped playing. I mean, you know, what's the, you, you learn in, like, Sunday League when you're seven to play to the whistle. You know, these professionals didn't play to the whistle, we didn't get the foul, and we conceded the goal. I don't blame Ariza Balaga for that. I think he had a decent to average game. He's getting away with quite a good run, I think, Ariza Balaga. Um, he's going under the sort of spotlight well enough, which I'm really pleased about uh, in terms of his age, um, inexperience in the league, and price tag. So I know I'm off on a little bit of a tangent here, but I just wanted to get that in about Ariza Balaga. I am happy with him, he does look good. He looks confident when he plays, and I think he might just do well and slip under the radar enough for him to just be considered a good developing keeper. So yeah, that goal, oh, David Louise ducking, stopping, Jesus fucking Christ. Anyway, Giroud should have like, I know he, he wanted the foul, but don't ask for the foul there, dude. Maybe like hold your face, scream a little bit, but don't like hit the deck. Let people play on because this is the kind of shit that happens, man. 
So one all, I think this is like 85th minute or pushing it. You, you just think, oh, here we go. Here we go. This is it. But, you know, we we came out fighting. This is like a lot of the Chelsea FC over the years. There's always been this sort of like never die attitude. Well, in, 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 unless when there wasn't, you know, third season Jose, second season Conte. I mean, the teams, it, it's a team that does know how to come back and win late. And this was demonstrated in this game. We pushed on, we pushed on, we pushed on. Alonso put the ball in. Um, it came off the um, uh, Newcastle player and was ultimately an own goal. But we got the goal late. There was five minutes of extra time. Uh, we sort of was a little bit of gamesmanship here. <laughs> Which is absolutely fine considering the whole 90 minutes from Newcastle. And yeah, we saw out the game. There's nothing really else I want to talk about this game too much. It was just a shit show. It was a, you know, it was a long, difficult slog, marathon, poor officiating. We got battered by the opponent, but we came away with the three points, which would keep the boys happy. Nine out of nine points, three out of three games. Let's go, Chelsea, and let's fucking move on from this review section. Well, welcome to part two of the Anacon Chelsea podcast. Let's look ahead. Um, we have Bournemouth at the bridge. That is a lovely sounding fixture, isn't it? After these um, opening few games, that does sound like a proper naughty little fixture. Uh, a team like Bournemouth that do like to play football, not too rigid, um, not overly organised. Uh, they do have a little bit of a goal threat, which you think before we completely sort of defensively might cause problems. But generally, on paper, in the context of how things are going with us, with them, that's a good game. Especially as at the bridge, we can express ourselves more, we can actually try out these combinations on a team which will be offering more space, and we can score goals, hopefully. Um, I know Callum Wilson's looked better recently, Josh King's decent enough. Our ex-boy, Ake, scored a goal, didn't he, this weekend? He looks good. He's a very solid defender. And whenever he comes to the bridge, he has something to prove, I think. He scored against us last season, of course. Um, never any hard feelings. I bloody love Ake. And, you know, Begovic in goal, decent enough. Also an ex-Chelsea boy. So, you know, those two will have something to prove. Um, but generally, I think, other than those, you know, two players coming back, not chip on their shoulder, well, maybe, I don't know. Um, and also the offensive threat. And actually, I kind of rate Fraser as well in the midfield. Um, but they're a good test. They're not a complete walkover, but they play a brand of football that will let us play ours. That's the most important thing. Eddie Howe's not ever set up to play defensively. I can't see him changing now. Um, and I can see a decent game. Uh, there's always a sort of danger that we will... I don't want to get overconfident because I'm, I don't want to... I'd like to think Chelsea never do that in the Premier League. But maybe try, not necessarily overplay, but just uh, the, the mistake might cause Bournemouth to get in. Um, they can be a, a good counter-attacking side. They're quite quick. Uh, Fraser, Wilson and everyone running. Uh, Jordan Ibe as well. He's decent, isn't he? I mean, he's never really scored many goals. I think he might have scored a couple of goals and a few assists. But on the break, he's incredibly fast. He's a player. Um, so, yes, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I reckon it, w it won't be a, a walk over that game. It's just the ideal fixture for us to express ourselves. Um, I can't really, you know, even I was going to say something like Cardiff, one of the perhaps weakest, weakest teams in the league. Um, but they'd be more difficult for us to break down. But at least, 
if you went into say at home against Cardiff, you'd expect to win eventually, even if it was more difficult to score. With Bournemouth, you expect to see a more exciting game and us to express ourselves with our exciting new brand of football. But there will always be a danger because Eddie Howe, he's a Premier League regular now with Bournemouth. He's done very well. Um, a few mid-table finishes. He's no mug um, if he gets the chance to sort of exploit new frailties in this Chelsea side. He'll do it. And um, But, you know, it'll be a good game. It'll be a good watch, I think. Um, they beat us last season, didn't they, Bournemouth? Was it them who did the 4-1 or the 3-0 near Watford? Watford and Bournemouth, those dreaded two fixtures. Anyway, they'll have that fresh in their heads. But then again, you know, Newcastle 3-0 fresh in their heads. We went there and won. We're, bre- we're breaking themes this <laughs> this season. So, yeah, I'm confident. Not massively confident, but I think it'll be a good game to watch. Uh, two teams that will try and play football, but ultimately the quality of one and the one that's at home should prevail. Um, yeah, so, I mean, there's not really much to do when I do these previews, um, especially if there's not much narrative, if it's not a derby. And there's not in the sense, It's I've just looked at sort of um, the tangible facts of it and I think it'll be a good game. Uh, yeah, I mean, that hopefully should be four wins out of four. Maybe by then, say, Watford have dropped off, um, Spurs, uh, Liverpool, I don't know who they're playing next, but I can check right now, Liverpool are playing Leicester away. So, you know, it can be a tough game. Um, Vardy's still out, isn't he, with that red card? So he's got three, he had a straight red, so that'll be three games that will he won't be able to play for. Anyway, I'm not saying we'll be top of the league, but it's looking good. It's a nice start. It's a long old road. It's a marathon. So hopefully, three points at home against Bournemouth. I am going to predict. I think they'll score because they can score goals and we're not immaculate. You know, we can just concede goals. That's just um, what we're doing at the moment until we're completely set up and we might have to sort a problem in the back line, which uh, uh, I'll be talking about uh, in the questions section. So I'm going to predict a 3-1, potentially a 4-1, but that would be me saying two predictions. <laughs> so you know what, this is a 3-1. We're going to beat Bournemouth at home at the bridge. And let's wrap up the preview section and move on to social media questions. All right, social media questions. Uh, I've got a, a good handful again. Thank you guys for giving me your questions. Um, I had to sort of retweet it and provoke people this time. Maybe I should put it in earlier. Maybe I should Photoshop a photo every single time so I grab you more aesthetically. Ask me questions. <laughs> Jose A. Flores. He asked me, well, this question has probably already been asked. Why the hell are we using a free man uh, midfield of Kante up top? He talks about three years of playing recovery midfield and being so good at it. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know if you've listened to the uh, previous pods, Jose, but I, I sort of spoke about Kante at length, about all his accolades, his sort of trophies and awards for being, like, just so fucking good as the best DM in the world. Um, such a sort of awesome man and humble chap and professional while doing it. Yeah, but he, I understand that he's... He, he can't play the DM role in the Sari system. He can't play that deep six. Um, it's the sort of director's role that only Jorginho can play. And there's two more midfield slots, which are both essentially eight um, forward running, attacking, creative, sort of passing midfielders. You understand why Barkley and Kovacic is one. And then the other one, there's a slot there. I mean, there's an argument that we should start Kovacic 
Barkley and Jorginho in terms of like offensive, most effective systematically, but Kante is undroppable and he's getting better in this role. He's um, If he does get the opportunity, he will go back and make those interceptions and tackles just nowhere near of the crazy numbers that he was doing in the previous seasons. Let's not forget, he is talented on the ball and we've seen him score goals. We've even seen him throw his header a goal, try and score a header, which when that happens is going to be a glorious moment. Um, like I alluded to previously in the podcast, he did like a really sort of nice one-two with Hazard with the little layoff. He can do good um, interplay and he can still make recoveries higher up the pitch. If we can con- keep the constant application of pressure and pressing higher up the pitch, then he needs to just get used to doing that up there. I think he could become from the best defensive midfielder in the world to maybe the best all-round midfielder in the world. Maybe not highest goal scoring or long passes, but in terms of just interplay, um, general passing and then interceptions and recoveries, but all over the pitch, not just mopping up at the back of the pitch. I'll understand why you're asking the question, dude. Loads of people have. Um, It is a shame in a sense, like I've just explained how he's not doing what he's best at, but he's also a very good player at learning and improving. I think Sari will make him an appropriate eight. I think Sari said, yeah, this guy's a world-class player. And although I'm not using his best attributes here, he's so good, he'll become, you know, an undroppable player in this position as well. Um, certainly, I hope that's the case. Uh, we'll have to see, though. Um, but yeah, that's, your, that's my answer to that question, bro. So let's see who's next. Um, let's see. Engi Ab. Diraham. Sorry, dude, I'm butchering names left, right, and centre here, but you asked, you'll hopefully recognise your name from me saying that. Is Alonso the best left back in the EPL or with Mendy? Certainly the most offensive left backs in terms of uh, attacking at the moment. Um, Mendy's an absolute beast. Uh, I think Mendy is the best in terms of ability, speed, and just dominance and accurate long balls in. Uh, yeah, Mendy's the best. Alonso obviously is a huge talking point for Chelsea fans. Uh, let's get into that. He was a lot better today, and he's been better last game as well. His uh, the the argument against Alonso was always defensive. He's very slow. Um, he's very slow. He can't run. He can't really beat a man, and he's not amazing at defending. I mean, I have seen him do a couple of slide tackles, but his positioning's not great. His tackling, his slide tackling, and his speed's not great. Now they're all attributes you want for your left back he's kind of like the opposite of Ashley Cole in that sense you know Ashley Cole was like the best left back in Premier League history I'm pretty comfortable in saying that in terms of like the mold of the old school left back what we wanted I mean he was absolutely solid um but he just didn't get forward that much I mean in this system it does suit Alonso very much so, like a wingback suited Alonso. Everyone was worried about Alonso playing just normal fullback. But like I've explained before, alluded to before, and certainly talked about on the pod, Sari's style of football, the Napoli style, now Chelsea style, is a lopsided formation, um, which is more prominent on the left side. Uh, and that suits both Alonso and Azpilicueta, because Azpilicueta is playing a tucked-in right-back, closer to right centre-back where he's played the last two years. Granted, he runs forward and puts crosses in, and hopefully he can rekindle that connection with Morata that he did so well in the first half of the season with Morata. But it also has um, the left-back 
right pushed right forward, which is uh, what Alonso's doing. He's essentially playing his uh, left wing back role again, which suits him very much. So looking at it like that, it's a system that really highlights his good sides or, or protects him from his frailties, which is which is excellent, really. Um, because, you know, on paper, before Sari came, we were looking right to 4 3 3. That means we've got flat back four and full backs. Alonso is not going to be able to play that role. But on further inspection of how Sari plays, it does indeed suit Alonso very well. And I said before in the last pod, in terms of positioning, his defensive frailties can be sort of not hidden or masked, but they can be compensated for by coaching with Sari in relation to positioning. And the system itself, which by all accounts is the case. I mean, Alonso's offensive um, output is ridiculous in terms of like, you know, assists and goals and free kicks. I don't know how many free kicks he's going to get this season. If it's on the right side facing the goal, then he'll probably take them over Louise and Willian. Hazard fancies them sometimes as well. That might, might be another sort of card that we deal him to try and stay at Chelsea. You'll get penalties, you'll get free kicks, you'll get bloody everything. Just don't leave. Anyway... I digress a little bit. Uh, So Alonso in this system is very good. I was calling for Emerson um, potentially to get his chance and just get sorry to have a look at him, which, you know, may well still happen in the different competitions. He may play play himself into the team. Uh, Emerson's a very, very good player. Um, But yeah, Alonso's looking good, man. I'm, you know, don't hate the man if he's doing his job. He's always gives 100% regardless, even if he does something wrong. And he's looking very good. Certainly the case has always been with other teams. They look at Alonso and they're jealous of him because they're like, look at this guy. He's always scoring big goals for you. They'd love them in their teams. And, you know, we've seen the sort of maybe more wobbly sides of him. But certainly at the moment, he looks like this could suit him perfectly as maybe the first season under Conte in the wingback system suited him. So good on you, Alonso. Uh, Yep, maybe offensively, him and Mendy, best in the league. Okay. Jimmy asks me, super, or rather states, super conspiracy theory. Sorry mentioned his desire to keep Kovacic, understandably, when the loan is over. I have a horrible feeling that Hazard is going to play with him so well, Real will take him back and Hazard will follow a Real dynamic duo. Is that a tactic clubs use? It's a really interesting sort of like question and statement, Jimmy, because um, that's an eventuality that could happen whether Real Madrid thought ahead of this happening or maybe it's a sort of afterthought that oh maybe he plays really well with Hazard and he gets to bring him I don't think it's like I know (laughs) I know you've probably said with a bit of tongue-in-cheek super conspiracy theory I certainly don't think it was a um it was a thought of those sorry wanted Kovacic he's looked at him before and it was a deal sweetener for Courtois it may be an afterthought about you know if when Kovacic goes back he goes back and Hazard goes oh I miss him I want to go to Real Madrid I'm not sure it's a tactic clubs use. Chelsea's a very canny club. You need to remember that. They they don't like getting mugged off and they sort of <laughs> keep themselves covered. I know that looks silly after paying X amount for a young keeper and losing our, our keeper because we couldn't sign him onto a contract. But I think there might be a little bit of Courtois stringing us on. Chelsea don't like to get ripped off and we don't like to look stupid. So I wouldn't worry too much. And I think they make, they'll, they'll always make a plan, Chelsea. Chelsea are always looking at hundreds of players and thinking of different eventualities. So I wouldn't worry too much about that, dude. Um, For the moment, let's just enjoy Kovacic and Hazard playing together. And, you know, whatever happens, happens next season. You know what? Just quickly, Eden Hazard's dad, he just seems like a right dickhead, doesn't he? 
always going on. He's just always trying to flog his son to Madrid publicly. Even Hazard, Eden Hazard's come out a few times and been like, yeah, my dad talks too much. Cause, you know, I think he's his agent, an ex-footballer himself. It's almost like I don't think he had a very um, successful career and he's probably doing that classic live my career through my son. Let's go to Real Madrid and be the top of the top. I think Eden is happy at Chelsea, but if he can get the move to Real, he'll try and get it, I think. He won't like push for it, but he'll certainly run down his contract. Um, you, you know, I reckon there's a sort of, 40% chance he'll sign a new contract with Chelsea. I think majority that he'll get to a year and be like, come on, guys, I've always been honest with you. I'm not trying to snake you like Courtois. I'm just sort of want to go. I've played hard for you. I've tried my best. But, you know, either you let me run down my contract or you get, I don't know, 80, 100 million for me for one year left of my contract. But his dad came out recently and says, oh, I think he might never get his move to Real Madrid. It's a bit like, come on, man, shut up. Just... Let it's just these tactics of just like stropping anyway it's the whole it's it's leaving a a bad taste in my mouth all these Real Madrid Chelsea stories Eden Hazard looks like he's getting his head down and he's going to flourish in this system with Kovacic Jimmy so let's just enjoy it let's not think about next summer hopefully sorry ball will be in full flow we would have had a good season and the rest is sort of like you know a side story even players man no one's bigger than the club up the chair so I hope that answers your question mate okay um David talks about Ruben Loftus-Cheek about him looking lethargic uh, a tad lazy um with England getting the ball turned over mm, he's great on the ball yes he is in other aspects but it looks uh, off the pace and uninterested when in a high intensity manner that sorry likes Good question, dude. Um, yeah, he, he's very good on the ball. He's a tank. He's quick. I, again, I have talked about Ruben at sort of at quite at length on previous podcasts. He's very quick. He's strong. He can draw fouls. He can hold up the ball for like a speedy bombing box-to-box midfielder. That's good when you can stand there and draw fouls like a big centre forward as well. Yeah, it's difficult for this, to see him coming into this Sari system. I think Sari's just had very little time and he's arrived and he had... You know, his time was cut short, his players weren't there, but there was a player that was there, Barkley, like, hello, I have not been at the World Cup, I'm incredibly highly rated, quite young, and I've spent all summer getting fit and studying your Napoli system and how you'd want me to play. For a man, a coach who hasn't got much time, he's going to look at him and go, lovely, jump in, mate. Whereas Ruben was away at the World Cup, I know he's going to be our child prodigy from the academy. Um, When you talk about his play in England... I think he's actually played very well at certain times of England. He got that um, man of the match against Germany uh, before the World Cup. Um, you know, everyone was like, wow, this, this guy is mustard now, you know. Um, for the American listeners, that means really good. Um, so it's difficult. Uh, you, you also go on, you must add that he's really great and you hope he makes an impact. Um, and then you go on to talk about Jose and Conte. Yeah, okay, so basically under Sari, I think you're trying to sort of get to here. Can he can he play under Sari? I think he can, but it's not it's not his like uh, his strengths. He's a technical player, and he can do good one touch interplay. Therefore, he can play Sari ball. But we've seen him at his best when he picks up the ball. He goes out wide. He bombs along. He draws fouls. It is a different style of football than what Sari plays. But that's not to say he can't play this. He's a good technical player, and Sari's an excellent coach. It's just due to this, <laughs> the narrative of Chelsea. It says that he might be a victim of circumstance. He probably will play. I don't think he's going to go out on loan. I think, actually, I think Sari said something in a press conference about 
look at winter, maybe alone in winter or something. I don't know. I think he's been real with him. Like, look, mate, I'm playing these guys. If you want to hang about to Europa, um, you can start in the midfield with whatever, drink water or whoever's there. And we can see how you get on, mate. But Sari does like his starting 11. If you look at Napoli, it's going to be difficult for Ruben Loftus-Cheek, David. Um, He does have a sort of... I kind of feel bad because he does look slow and lazy at times, but usually because he's just off the pace, he's been a, a incredibly frustrating story. I can't. I mean, if you go back and listen to the older episodes, man, I do talk about him. It's a, it's an interesting one. We're gonna have to see, homie. I don't really know what else to say until we get to see him in a cup or a Europa League game. That he has again. He's got a very little window to try and light stuff up again. So that's Rubes for you, mate. Okay, next question. Trouble man, Chris. <laughs> if Morata is not trying, can we give Hudson Adoy more of a chance with Ruben off the cheek? All right, I don't really understand the question because um, Morata is trying, and Hudson Adoy chance with Ruben off the cheek. Ruben off the cheeks a midfielder, so that kind of goes back to me answering David's question. Hudson Adoy, uh, Joe Tweedy, who's a um, he writes sometimes, does Chelsea football uh, writing. He talks about Hudson Odoi used to be a striker and he can actually see him in the nine role stylistically in terms of how he plays and his build. Like he could be like the Dries Merton technical little number nine score goals. Um, I personally think a 17 year old, you can't throw him into that. Especially if you look at that Newcastle game we've just had, he'll get Ian alive. Um, I think Morata is trying. It's Even though he scored that nice goal, it's a confidence thing. A couple of occasions he had close calls and his touch got away from him. Happy happy for Morata to keep trying. Remember, it is only the third game. He has scored a nice goal. And Sari is an excellent coach for strikers. And he sees, you know, he'll speak Italian to, to Morata. They both speak Italian so they can have fluent conversations in depth about football. And he's, he's stated, Morata is my man. He's my nine. He's obviously watched him. He would have been coaching in Italy when Morata was scoring goals for Juventus. So he knows he's a good player. And he obviously sees something in there that he can coach. So it's got to have to stay with Morata. I mean, eventually, if it doesn't work, we'll probably sign another striker. But for the moment, it is uh, Morata. Hey, Ryan, what's up, man? You left some questions. Um, I'll probably come back to this other one here. But he says, who's your top three Chelsea managers of the Roman era? Of the Roman era? Uh, oh, God, that's difficult. Uh, Jose Mourinho, Ancelotti, for when he first came in and just blew everyone away with his goals and that um, start of football as well. And yeah, probably looking at everyone else, it would have to be between Conte and Sarri. It's two, uh, the thing is, everyone's pleased Conte left. But if I wanted to have a romantic view of Antonio Conte, it was that first season, man. I, I don't want to be too much of a romantic looking about, but, you know, we broke every record in the Premier League, bar a couple of ones that we already held anyway. Um... He was jumping in the crowd. He changed the system radically. And there was just so much narrative in that season. You know, we blew Jose Mourinho's Man United out of the water at the bridge 4-0. If I <laughs> looked at it for just that, that one, I'd say, I'd say Conte. But I think this could turn into um, maybe sorry because of the brand of football. But I don't want to say sorry because it's a bit of a cheap, cheap answer. And it's, it's very early. Um, I'm trying to think of other managers. You know, Vich Bosch was a failure. Uh, Scolari, no, Benitez, no, there's, you know, probably, hopefully not missing anyone significant, but all the sort of short, short-term ones in between didn't really do it for me, 
Um, okay, this is a big one. A load of people have just talked to me about this on my Twitter page anyway. Eddie has said, can you speak on Louise's performance the last three games? Is it time for Christensen to start? Thank you. Thank you, Eddie. A lot of people have talked about this. Um, it is a difficult one. I know why Sari wants Louise. He's a senior figure. He's won everything. He's played a lot of different leagues. He's very cultured. He's intelligent. He's compassionate. He's a good baller. He is an intelligent footballer. He has the capacity to do good things, long passes. Um, like I said, last last week, he did a really sort of intelligent little move to do a, sh- a shimmy to an offside trap. That was a very deliberate move. The only thing is, they're becoming few and far between. And he gets a rush of blood all the fucking time and does something silly and he did that little he was he's not a fault for the goal but he did it like he ducked so what's the alternative um it's Christensen Christensen's an excellent footballer and we all were purring when we saw him last season before he had this sort of turn of form yes Christensen might make less mistakes but I can see why Sari wants Louise for those reasons I've previously stated, but th- there is a case where he'll play himself out of the team. <laughs> it happened to him before. I think he'll sort of maybe under he he fell out with Conte, but maybe under Sari he'll sort of understand if his form drops, it it will be more of a meritocracy. There'll be no sort of animosity or like drama. I hope touch wood. But um, I do, it, you can. Off the bat, if you look at player attributes, he's this Brazilian technical baller that can play long passes. You think, yeah, perfect for Sari ball, you know? But Christensen did also do some high-profile mistakes last season, let's not forget. He will get a chance, Christensen. Sari will look at him. He'll look at even, like, you know, Ampadu as well. Again, I think Ampadu, like hudson Adoy, might be a year or two off, first-team sort of solid start. But, um... He'll get a chance and Sari will have a decision to make. It's too early for... If he's training them week in, week out, remember what he did to um, Koulibaly. Oh, man. Everyone really didn't rate him. He was in the Napoli side. People thought he would have to go. He's like the most sought-after centre-back in Europe. Like Apparently, he's like an £80 million centre-back now. You know, he's such he's so good, intelligent and aware and he's a technical... And he's a, so big and strong. Let's not, if Sari thinks he can make Louise better, Louise isn't that old. Remember Italians like centre-backs right up to the age of bloody 37, um, yeah, whatever. He's like, what, 31, maybe 32? He probably sees him as a footballer in his prime with loads of experience. Again, this goes back to the fact that Sari hasn't got much time. Um, and he probably sees Christensen as a very young footballer. Of not. I know he's got experience, but not loads and loads of experience. So I understand why he might persist with Louise, especially if he's implemented training methods to make him better. Dude. Okay, that's my talk on Louise. I know everyone's been complaining about him, but I just wanted to state my opinion with that kind of stuff. So that's uh, that's how it is with Louise and Christensen. Uh, Moran Jr. asks, who's going to be our captain? Well, it looks like Azpilicueta, because Hazard started and so did Azpilicueta. Perhaps you could say because it was his 200th appearance, they gave him the armband and it might get rotated. But he's a very captain-style player, isn't he? The argument for Hazard would be, A, to try and, you know, help him aid him our course to keep him at the club, give him the captaincy. And also he's captain of Belgium. And rather than being like a vocal captain, 
he sort of leads by example, but I'm not sure that's going to translate for when he plays for Chelsea. Um, he wants to win with Chelsea, but there's always, in modern football, there's always an element of your club is your job and your country is your country. <laughs> so for him playing, I don't know, maybe I'm being uh, cynical, but I feel like Azpilicueta is a more sensible choice for um, for captain. And you know what? A lot of people were calling for Louise, so maybe that shows a bit more uncertainty for Louise. Maybe Sari's like, you know what? Azpilicueta is going nowhere through this. He's been here for a long time. He's my captain. So yeah, dude, Morin, Azpilicueta is our captain. All right. Um, Aleem Football. Will Christensen, uh, Ampadu, Hudson-Odoi have a good playing time this year? Uh, yeah, not in the Premier League, but I think Europa League will be their competition. It's maybe early doors in the Cups as well, depending on comp- um, on, on the opponent and the, and the competition. Um, I don't have more to say about that dude, other than they won't be playing in the Premier League uh, unless there's injuries or they've been absolutely amazing in uh, the other competitions. But even in that instance, I think... Sari will always honour his eleven, his uh, starting eleven in the Premier League. So yes, expect to see them in the Europa League early doors, and hopefully get to keep their place throughout the composition. Uh, excuse me, competition, provided they play well. All right, guys, I'm going to leave it there for questions, and I'm going to wrap it up because I've gone well over time here. Um, yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for joining me once again on the Yannick on Chelsea podcast. I really enjoyed doing these podcasts. Um, if you have any friends who are Chelsea fans or enjoy listening to football podcasts, tell your friends about the Yannick on Chelsea podcast. Remember, it's now available on every single, well, as far as I know, every single podcast application and streaming service where you listen to your podcast. So check it out. Remember, if you want to be supportive or if you want to help me out, give me a five star rating on iTunes. Subscribe um, on any sort of platform you listen to it uh, and maybe write a nice review on iTunes because that's always really nice for me to read. And that's going to be it. Thank you once again, ladies and gentlemen. Keep the blue flag flying high, up the chels, carefree, wherever you may be, and I'll see you later.